As Alyssa said, we are actually continuing this sermon series on the prayers of the saints today. If you look in your bulletin, you should find a little card. Look something like this that says the prayer of St. Patrick. We're going to be talking about this prayer today. And just to begin this morning, we don't often do this in this service, but we're going to pray this together in unison just to get these words in our hearts, in our minds as we move on today. So Eric, we have that for the screens right now, the prayer of St. Patrick. Please join me. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity, by invocation of the same, the three in one and one in three, of whom all nature hath creation, eternal Father, Spirit, Word, praise to the Lord of my salvation. Salvation is of Christ the Lord. Amen. So I'm going to begin by reading a few verses from Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is a psalm that really does speak of the omnipresence of God that there is nowhere we can go that God is not. So here are these words from Psalm 139. I'll be reading right now verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as we get started, I can guarantee you this, okay? My wife... Karen, many of you know Karen, she knows me better than any other person on the planet ever has today, in the past, any time. Karen and I met each other when we were 12 years old. If you have seventh graders, think about that, right? But it was our very first junior high summer band practice as incoming seventh graders. I know we lived in a small town, but we didn't go to the same elementary school, but we did go to the same junior high. And we ended up becoming friends that summer of 1973, because if you were going to be in the junior high band, that meant that you had to go to band practice every single weekday morning of the summer so that you were ready to march in the county youth fair parade that was held in August. And so what that means, if you do the math there, is that this summer, Karen and I are going to actually celebrate our 50th year of knowing each other. Uh, and our 38th year of marriage, coincidentally, but 50 years. So suffice it to say, Karen knows me really well, really, really well. And one of the best things about that is actually that it makes me feel very secure in my day-to-day life, knowing that she knows me that well and still wants to hang out with me. I mean, that, that's a wonderful thing, right? And, and it's interesting, you know, look at this, there's a reason that knowing that about her makes me then feel that way. 
don't know if you knew this, but according to a lot of psychological experts, okay, one of our most central psychosocial needs at our core is the need that each and every one of us has to be known, to be known. There's a psychologist by the name of Dr. Benna Sherman, and she's written this. She wrote, one of the most fundamental and universal desires is to be known, truly known, to find that someone knows and understands us deeply and thoroughly. We want to be loved by someone who knows us this deeply. So what she's writing up there, this, this deepest desire, psychologists recognize our deepest desire is to be deeply known. Now, other psychologists write also about there's a corollary to this human desire to be known, and that is the desire to be the person on the other side of that relationship, okay? To be the person who truly knows someone else in this same deep way. So to know another and to be known by another are the greatest human desires that we have. I don't know if you knew that, but we're hardwired, not only to just want, but to actually need these kinds of relationships. And one of the things that I, I discovered as I was kind of researching, I was reading about this, this human need that we have, this need to be known, is that kind of what's happened apparently over the past hundred years is that the, ever since the dawn of the cinema, actually, is that what's kind of happened is that this deep desire to be known manifests itself today and the desire so many people have today to be famous. Because to be famous is to, become, is to feel like many, many, many people know me by being famous. And even more recently, without even realizing it, many psychologists think this is really what's behind this. People are seeking to fulfill this need to be known by having an enormous number of followers on social media, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube or TikTok or whatever social media you may have out there. The more followers I have, the more it feels to me, it feels like this basic human desire to be known is being fulfilled. And it's a very, very real need to be known. But from the, the Christian perspective, from I would say even a Judeo-Christian perspective, we're looking at the Psalms, right? The way we're made with this very real need to know and to be known, well, that's meant to draw us, right, into a relationship not just with each other, but also with the God who made us. And this is part of why the Bible goes to such lengths, right, to remind us again and again that we are known, we are fully known, deeply known by God. The very beginning of Psalm 139, the psalm that I started with, but the first four verses of that psalm actually say this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. So this reality, this biblical reality that God knows us fully, intimately, thoroughly, right? That is meant to fulfill this inner desire that each one of us has to be truly known and loved no matter what might really be there on the inside. So, but unfortunately, 
there's another thing going on. There's another very fundamental aspect of our human nature that works against us. It tries to convince us, well, you know, if anyone really knew me that deeply, if anyone really knew everything about me, if anyone knew me that well, I'd lose that, right? I'd lose that connection that, that I'd be rejected and, and I'd end up finding myself lonely and, and rejected and again longing for this desire to be known, to be fulfilled. And so what we end up doing is we end up frustrating our own need to be known deeply by trying to hide ourselves from others, to protect ourselves from the abandonment that we're convinced will inevitably follow if we really were fully known. And what ends up happening is then that we try to hide ourselves from God too. And that's just sad because what ends up happening is we actually make the negative effects of our sin, the negative effects our sin has on our relationship with God, we end up making that worse because we end up hiding from the only one who can truly help us. And this is an ancient, ancient thing. Listen to how Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah writes about this. He says, look, look, the Lord does not lack the power to save, nor are his ears too dull to hear, but your misdeeds have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that you aren't heard. Our sins lead us away from God. Our sins have done this to us. And because our sins have hidden God's face from us, rather than the reality of God knowing us deeply and intimately, rather than that being a comfort, the thought that God knows everything about us completely, but ends up being terrifying. You probably know the story of Job, right? The story of Job, this, this man who lost everything. He lost everything, and he demands an audience with God for God to explain himself to Job. Why did this all happen? In the midst of his, his wanting this audience with God, Job falls victim. He's a righteous man, but he falls victim to this mentality of being terrified by the reality of God's complete knowledge of him. Listen to what he says. He says this to God. He says, God, what is man that you make so much of him, that you give him so much attention, that you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Will you never look away from me or let me alone for an instant? You gave me life and showed me kindness in your providence. You watched over my spirit. But this, this God is what you concealed in your heart. And I know God, that this was on your mind. If I sinned, you would be watching me and would not let my offense go unpunished. And that is so spot on, the human condition. This is who we think God is. And so even though, even though we need others to know us deeply and intimately, we still fear what would happen if we really were fully known? Jesus described the human condition in very similar terms, by the way. Jesus said, those who don't trust the light stayed away from the light for fear that their sins would be exposed and they would be punished. But you know what? The, the Bible 
The Bible insists that God's full knowledge of who we are, God's familiarity with all our ways, but that's not towards the purpose of seeking us out to punish us for our sin. But it's so that God can guide us back onto the appropriate paths, knowing who we, deep inside who we really are, so that God can take us by the hand uniquely and individually and lead us away from what tempts us to where we should be going. Those words are right there in the psalm. I read. After talking about God being ever God's omnipresence, the psalm says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. So while, yeah, God does, God sees our sin, this psalm, when you read it entirely and insist that God's purpose in having that knowledge is to lead us away from our sin. The psalm ends with this plea. The psalmist says to God, God, see, God, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So rather than being a a terrifying thought, we're meant to take comfort in the fact that no matter where we are, no matter how lonely we might be, no matter how desperately we're longing for someone to know us deeply and intimately, God is there, ever-present, knowing us and loving us and guiding us. And you know what? If we can just grasp that on an intellectual level, there's comfort in that. There's comfort in that knowledge. But if we really want to dive down to a deeper level of faith, we have, to willing, we have to be willing to kind of take that beyond just that intellectual knowledge, grasping this theological idea that God is present everywhere, God knows everything, omnisci- omniscience of God, omnipresence of God. We got to go beyond that. We have to figure out how to deal with the reality that even if we believe that conceptually, We don't always feel it. Why is it that even if I intellectually embrace the idea of God's presence, why is it then that we, if we grasp this idea that we're fully known by God, why is it that I don't always feel like the need to be fully known is being satisfied? Why am I still longing to be known? Well, I really believe that the answer that I've discovered that for that is that, that each one of us is on this lifetime journey to fulfill the corollary, right, of that basic human need to be known, which is the need to fully know the other who knows us in return. God already knows us fully. God always has known us fully. But folks, one of the greatest gifts God has given us in the incarnation of Jesus Christ is that now... Now, we can grow to know God as fully and as intimately as God knows us through a personal relationship with Jesus. Listen to this. Listen to how the Apostle Paul talks about this kind of relationship to the risen Christ. Same kind of relationship with Christ we can have today. He wrote this in his letter to the Philippians. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing, of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. 
I want to know Christ. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Our relationship with this God who already knows us fully, it only reaches its consummation. It only fulfills all the needs of our heart when we grow to know Christ the way Paul writes about knowing Christ. This deep psychosocial need of knowing and being known are fulfilled by knowing Jesus. And then it's by virtue of that relationship that we grow even more to really know that we are known and loved anyway. So you might by now, you might be wondering if I was ever going to get around to the prayer here, the prayer of St. Patrick, but I am because what I've been talking about here is exactly what St. Patrick is praying for in this prayer that's the foundation for this week's message. If you look at this opening stanza with me again, the opening stanza of the prayer, you see it's a prayer to be made constantly aware of the reality of the presence of God in Christ that already is, already is all around us, within us, with us, behind us, before us, beneath us, beside us, above us, in times of quiet, in times of danger, when we need comfort, when we need to be restored. He says, in the hearts of those who love us, in the mouths of friends and strangers alike. This prayer, it, it reminds us that because God in Christ really is, really is everywhere, all around us, the more we come to really know Jesus the deeper that relationship with Jesus grows, the more we become able to recognize Jesus where he is in the world around us, even in places that we might not expect to find him, dark places of danger, in the mouths and the words of strangers. So the goal, the goal of this Christian journey is to know Jesus, but to know Jesus so intimately that we have a literal sense of sharing in his suffering, sharing in his death, and sharing in his resurrection. Now, if you go back to the ancient world, the world in which Paul wrote, and even the world of St. Patrick, who was like the 5th century AD, you know, four or 500 years after Jesus, if you go back to that time, the language around that kind of complete and utter identification with another person was language of binding yourself to them binding yourself to them. It was language that was meant to convey this image of identifying, making yourself literally one with someone by tying yourself to them, binding yourself to them so closely, so tightly that the two become indistinguishable from the one. Now, there's only one place. If you think there's one place in the modern world that this kind of language actually perseveres. And if you think about it, we still talk today about the marriage bond, Right? the marriage bond, and and we still use language of the two becoming one. It's like this vestige of this language of binding yourself to someone. The two know each other so well. They are fully known by each other, and yet, bound that tightly, they still love each other completely. I tell you, I thank God every day that, that, that I'm bound to Karen that way. I got to tell you, after 50 years, the only way this kind of bond can ever reach its potential 
is by spending time together, by nurturing the relationship in trust and openness of heart and soul. And that's what Patrick says we can have with God. Right? At the very end of his prayer, he says, you know, towards the end, the beginning of the second stanza of the prayer, he says, I bind unto myself the name, the strong name of the Trinity. In other words, what Patrick is praying here is that he's going to develop such a deep awareness of Christ's presence in all places, at all times, everywhere, that he'll live his life so immersed in the presence of Christ that already is there all around him, that in the end, he will be found in Christ's likeness, bound to Christ, indistinguishable from Christ in his love and his grace. He's really copying the Apostle Paul again here. It's what Paul meant when he wrote, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I, I, I've been asked about this, 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 this prayer, this verse in a lot of Bible studies, and Paul's not talking about a loss of personal identity. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a transformation, a perfection of the identity, the innermost being that God first created us with, that God gave us from the moment of our conception. It, it, our scripture reading this morning, when you continue in, verse one, in Psalm 139, says, For you, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So from, from God knows us so intimately because from the day of our conception, we are individuals. We are wonderful works of God, accountable to God, known by God. But also on a journey to discover and to nurture a personal relationship with God in fulfillment of that deep psychosocial need that he placed inside each one of us. It's a journey of becoming more and more aware of the reality that we're not on our own. We're not alone. We are literally enclosed within this divine reality, living immersed in it, that the psalm calls God's omnipresence, that St. Patrick calls Christ surrounding us. Doesn't matter where we are, who we're with, what we're doing. As we grow in relationship with Jesus, we grow in our ability to recognize, this is what John Wesley said in his dying breath, the best of all is God is with us. It's only when we let go of our fear of being known when we come to embrace that idea that God clearly sees our sin not to punish us for it, but so he can guide us away from it, that's when we can truly be led to become the people that God created us to be. And it's a lifelong journey. And we got to go into it recognizing as finite human beings, we are, we're limited we're limited in our ability to know this infinite God fully. Paul also wrote this. He said, for now, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. 
then I shall know fully, and I love this, even as I am right now fully known. Jesus already knows you deeply and fully, and he loves you anyway. And if you want to know him just as deeply and just as fully, this prayer is a really good place to start. It really is. Try praying this prayer of St. Patrick every morning. Just try it for a week. There's a lot of members of, of several religious orders. They pray these words every morning as a centering prayer to remind them that Christ is omnipresent. To ask God to help us to see him all around us every day so that when we recognize him around us, when we spend, when we know that we're spending that kind of time with him, we can come to know him as fully as we're able to know him on this side, just as we are fully known today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.